We know that January is a normal time when a lot of people think about habits or maybe resolutions that you want to change in your life. So what we've been doing in this series, again, this is part four, this is the last part, but what we've been doing in this series is, first of all, looking at the nature of habits in general, but then looking at three, the three main areas of your life where a habit, one habit, can make a big difference. So, so far, the areas of life we've looked at are two of them, and today we'll hit the the final one. The first one we looked at was the spiritual area of your life. If you can fix your eyes, if you can see what is unable to be seen, that will be a keystone habit that changes your life in many different areas. Last week, we looked at your emotional uh, area of life where if you can redirect the way you process things, if you can identify, validate, and align, uh, that's a much healthier way to evaluate your emotions and to process them, and that will have a cascading positive effect in many areas of life. And by the way, if you missed either of those messages, like if you weren't here or if you didn't catch them online, make sure you you go to our website, check out uh, parts one through three, because everything we talked about in those kind of leads up to this moment today. What we talked about in the spiritual area of life impacts what we're talking about today. And how you process your emotional area of life also impacts what we're addressing today. So today, as we wrap up the series, the third and final area of your life where it makes the most difference to create a habit is the physical or the bodily area aspect of your life. Now, I know we all have common ground because we all have bodies. So we're all on the same level here. We're all on the same level. But one thing that stuck out to me in week one of this series, when Ben was launching the week, launching the series, he put up on the screen the 10 most common resolutions of 2019. And maybe even before I put it up, you can start to brainstorm. Okay, you kind of know what some of them might be, and they're, they're pretty typical ones. But when he put those 10 on the screen, something just jumped out at me right away. And to help it jump out for you, I put them in yellow. 10 habits, 10 of the most common habits, or res- I'm sorry, 10 of, the, 10 of the most common resolutions for 2019. Five of the 10 have to do with someone's physical health. Five out of ten. And this doesn't even tell you the whole story. Because when you look at each of these, what they did was they surveyed 2,000 people, which is a pretty decent survey group. And then they evaluated how many of those people had any of these given resolutions. For example, number one, uh, the top resolution, diet or exercise. 71% of 2,000 people had this as one of their resolutions. Or the second one, exercise more. 64% of 2,000 people had that as part of their resolutions. The third one, lose weight, uh, 41%, 41% of 2,000 people looked at their bodies in the mirror on January 1st and said, I need to lose weight. And you look at all the others on this, and it's quite clear when you look at even the percentages, especially those percentages, This is way more than 50% of what people are thinking about when it comes to the way they'd like to change their bodies or their health. And this kind of got me thinking, why is this such a common thing? And this brought one observation and one question to my mind. The observation was this. Well, it kind of makes sense that so many of us would have resolutions for our health because your body is kind of a big part of you. 
Wherever you go, there your body goes with you. We take this naturally to an unhealthy level where we combine our body with who we are. If my body is undesirable, I am undesirable. If my body is out of shape, I'm out of shape. If my body is pretty, then I'm pretty. We, we equate our identity with our body, and we take that to an unhealthy level, which got me thinking even further. <laughs> if we're so motivated to be healthy, why aren't we? We'll get into this in a little bit. It's unhealthy to view your body as the same thing as your identity, and, and God's going to redirect us in a, in a different way in just a moment. But even if that were the case, we have all the more reason to start that diet and stick with it. We have all the more motivation to go to the gym and actually do stuff there. You, you, going to the gym doesn't count. You actually have to do stuff. That's the catch. That's the catch. There should be so much motivation for us to actually take positive steps so that come January 1st, 2020, we won't have the same list of resolutions. I wish I was healthier. I wish I had a better body. We have all this reason. So first thing was an observation. Your body is kind of a big part of you. No wonder so many of us want to have resolutions that deal with our body. But the second part of this was more of a question. A question that gets us into the heart of what I want to get into today. The question is simply this. If your body is such a big part of you, and if you know what you need to be healthy, why don't you do it? Or if you want to put it in these words, what keeps you from treating you the way you wants to be treated? What's keeping you from that diet? What's keeping you from that exercise? What's keeping you from that step that you've been telling yourself you want to take time and time again? What is it that's keeping you from treating you the way you wants to be treated? And I need to quickly address the other side of the coin because some of you were in the 2% of people who didn't have any resolutions with your health because you're already healthy. I just want to lay this on you too. Get this. You see, when you obsess over your health, that's not exactly healthy either. When you're so obsessed with what you eat and how you exercise that it consumes you, that's also an area that we need to address today. But the bigger question, question at the heart of it, what keeps you from treating yourself the way yourself wants to be treated? And when you get to the answer, that's where you see the opportunity for a key habit to develop that actually gives you change and transformation with how you treat your body. Now, you might be asking or wondering, well, why does this topic have any place in front of a church on a Sunday morning? And the thing is, when you get into the heart of this, you actually see that what's at stake here is the very foundation of the Christian faith. The event that started this whole thing, this whole movement of Christianity is at the heart of how you treat your body today. And to get at the heart of it, we have this unique letter, or what we call it, a book of, of the Bible. 
It was written by a Christian in the first century, and I'll tell you why it's unique, then I'll tell you what it has to do with this. The reason it was unique was because it was written by the Apostle Paul, and what he normally did was the Apostle Paul would go from area to area, and in each area, he'd get to know people, he'd share Jesus with them, they'd say, hey, that's cool, tell me more, and then he'd have this deep, like, Maybe it was a lesson or a class or just discussions where he would teach people more about God and what it looks like to reflect God's love in your life. So he'd do this from place to place. And when he'd move on to the next place, what would often happen is people in the last place would start to mess things up or they would have questions. And so Paul would write them a letter and say, here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to do. But there's one letter in the New Testament that's different. It's a letter he wrote to some people in Rome. We call the book or the letter Romans. That's where we get the name from. But what was different about this is that Paul didn't travel to Rome and teach them and then move on. Paul never had a chance to go to Rome in the first place. So basically what this letter is that he wrote to the Romans, this was his way of saying, here's the basics. You want to know more about Jesus who died and came back to life? Here's who God is, and here's what he, he's done. So he, he, he took his class, and he put it into a, a letter format, and he sent it off. And so what we have in Romans is this thorough discussion of Paul introducing people to God and what it means to reflect God's love in your life. So what this means for us, this is interesting. When Paul is talking about the fundamentals of what it means that Jesus did what he did, Paul makes a natural application to how you treat your body. And what he gets to, we're going to see two things where he's going to challenge you today with regard to why you've been treating you the way that you have. And he's going to help you unfold what keeps you from treating you the way that you want to be treated. We're going to look at Romans chapter 6 and forewarning The way that Paul writes this, remember, he's teaching people for the first time about these things. So he kind of talks about something, then he adds a layer, then he adds a layer. Paul, it can be kind of difficult to read through, but he did that by design because it was important for him to teach and reinforce his teaching at the same time. So here's what he wrote. We're jumping into Romans chapter 6. He says, For we know, we being followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you're not yet, but if you are, you just need to know what it is on the inside that we know. We know that our old self was crucified with Jesus. He's going to talk a little bit about old self in just a little bit, so I'm going to put that on pause. The interesting thing just with these first few words is that he says your old self was crucified with Jesus. It's, it's as if when Jesus died on the cross, when he was crucified, executed, it's as if you were being crucified and executed on that cross. He's drawing together this, this theological truth where he says, that's the whole reason Jesus came. He, he came not deserving of punishment, but he, he absorbed the punishment for your sins for you. So that when Jesus died on the cross, in the eyes of the Father in heaven, it looked like you were dying. When Jesus was separated from his Father on that cross, God looked at it and says, that was as if you were being separated from him. The consequences for your sin 
were unleashed on the cross. So your old self, we'll talk more about self in just a minute. The old self was crucified with him. It's already happened. And now he starts to layer onto this. Well, what does this mean? And what difference does this make in your life? So he goes on. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin, or in other words, the body that had sin as its king, might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Slaves to sin. And here's where maybe some of you listening right now, you're thinking, I wouldn't put it that extreme. I I sin, I make mistakes, but I'm not a slave to sin. Sure, I, I give sin the keys to the car every once in a while, but I still own the car. Right? You put your, your line there, but let me just put it this way. If you know what you want, but you don't treat yourself the way that yourself wants to be treated, that does not sound like freedom to me. That sounds like you're being controlled by someone or something, and you can't stop it. If you don't treat yourself the way yourself wants to be treated, that is not freedom. And if you are so compelled and focused on health to the point where you're obsessed over it, about what you eat and how you exercise, and you worry, worry, worry over it, that's not exactly freedom either. So would you just consider maybe for a moment that the way you've been approaching your view of self has not been reality. You haven't just lost control a little bit every once in a while. Your natural state is one of slavery, where you can't even treat yourself the way yourself wants to be treated, much less treating yourself the way God, your Father, wants you to be treated. So Paul's getting into this. He says, your body was ruled by sin, that it, and it was done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Then he goes on, one final thought in this sentence. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Sin, as he goes on in, uh, later in chapter 6, uh, look at verse 23 in your Bibles, uh, Romans 6:23 he kind of summarizes this. He said, it, this whole thing with sin, it's not just about behavior and what you do bad. Sin is ultimately something that leads to death. If sin is your master, death is waiting for you. That's the reward. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And so Paul looks at this more as a big picture, not just your daily mistakes and sins that you might commit, but big picture, your, uh, your heart is ruled by a master of sin. And in that kingdom of sin, the only possible outcome is death. Now he's starting to get to something here. He says, you were being ruled by sin. And death was waiting for you. But now you've already died. So what does that mean? If it's true that sin was master over us and that sin leads to death, but that death was already accomplished on the cross for you, then this changes the way you view your body and the way you view your life. He goes on to say the positive side to this. He says, you've already died with Christ. You're no longer ruled by this sin. You have a new outlook. Here's the positive, and then he's going to help us uh, 
contextualize this. He says, now if, if we died with Christ, we, again, we Christians, we believe that we will also live with him. If, if our death is already done on the cross, then we know that there's only life with God awaiting us. It's ready for us. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. He cannot die again. You die once and then you're set free. You finish your term as a slave. And then once you complete that contract, you are freed and free to go. He will never die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Now you're starting to see the implications. Well, if we've been freed, what have we been freed for? And he's going to get at that. Romans 6.10, then he's going to wrap this up. He says, the death that Jesus died, he died to sin. This is so important. Once for all. One death that satisfied the sentence of death for all people. How can Jesus' death on a cross cover my death and be counted as my death? Because his death was unique because he was innocent. He was sinless. And yet he paid the price for the sinner. He interceded to do that for me and for you once and for all. And the life he lives, he lives to God. There's this other side of what we can't yet see. And maybe as Paul is writing this, he's like, wow, this is really deep, really theological, really doctrinal. People are going to be wondering, okay, I kind of get it that Jesus died for me, but what does this mean? In verse 11, he kind of wraps this up in this beautiful summary statement that for me provides so much clarity. Verse 11 says this, in the same way, in other words, just as Jesus died and now lives again, count your self. Count yourself means to see yourself. That when you view you, you see something different than what you were born with. Count yourself means that because of what Jesus did, you now have a different perspective of the value that you have. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Count yourself already having been punished for your sin. And now you're on the other side of that, enjoying the forgiveness and fellowship with God forever. And when you do that exercise of looking at yourself, looking at you, your body, yourself, who you are, this is the beginning of you seeing things the way God wants you to see you. Um, To illustrate this quickly, Three and a half years ago, I got a new smartphone. Not top of the line, not bottom of the line, just normal average cell phone. That's how I do life, by the way, just average, just right down the middle. Um, I got a new cell phone, and you know this. Some of you have gotten a new cell phone, too, where when you get that cell phone and you take it out of the box, you're like, ah, and you see all the shininess and everything, and you don't have the case for it yet, and so you baby that new phone, and you're so careful with it, and you gently put it in your pocket and gently take it out. You're so careful with that thing. That was three and a half years ago. Do you know what that phone's being used for right now? My kids use it for Roblox games. They pick their nose, and they wipe it on the screen, and they drop it, and they do all sorts of things to that phone, because I have a new phone now that I baby, and I'm careful with. But here's an observation real quickly. You can tell how much someone values something by how they treat it. 
how much do you value your body? And if someone on the outside was looking at the way you treat your body, how much value would they think that you find in it? How much you value something is, di is displayed by how you treat it. So how do you treat your body? You see, quite often when we see no value in something, that's when we mistreat it. We toss it around. We, we're not careful with it. But when there is value, if there is value, then it is treated well. Number two on your sheets. You mistreat what has no value. So maybe what we need to start with today is that your body has value. And the reason it has value is because there was a great price that went into redeeming your body. Here's the significance. You see, Paul just talked about Jesus' body and him dying and how that affected us. The reason why that's a big deal is because Jesus didn't just come to redeem some spirit, soul, part of you so that your spirit can float around with God forever. The reason why he died on a cross was to redeem your body. Anybody with a body was redeemed through the death of Jesus Christ. He came, and don't get me wrong, one day, if, unless Jesus comes, yes, we will all bodily die. But one day when Jesus returns, he now has the right and the ownership to call up any body from the grave and make it new. His purpose for you was to redeem your body. So just think about that. How would you treat your body if you continually thought about the value and the price that Jesus placed on it when he died for it? We often mistreat what has no value, but what we need to remember is that your body was redeemed, and therefore it has great value. There's another side to this that Paul's going to get to, and we need to wrap things up here. He's, he's going to get into verse 12, where he, he takes this and he says, because this is true, now we're going to this next level. Because you were redeemed at a great cost, here's what you need to know. Verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign. Remember, sin was your master, and that relationship ended in death. You've already died with Christ. So do not let sin reign again in your mortal body, literally your body that's destined for death. He's, he's saying there's this oxymoron. Yes, you're going to die, but your death has already happened in God's sight. So don't live as if you're just going to die. Don't let sin have reign in your life and so that you obey all of its evil desires. And he's going to get like more specific. He's going to personify sin. Just pretend sin is this thing. And he's going to say, this is what you should not do. Verse 13. Do not offer any part of yourself, and he's literally talking about body, any limb, any, any, any part of your body to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Like, here's sin, you can have the keys to my car. Here's sin, you can have free reign of my tongue. He says, don't go offering any part of you. And for Paul's context, by the way, in the first century, this was such a big thing that he had to teach people. They had all sorts of gods and goddesses along with their temples set up. And if you wanted to offer any part of your body, any 
part of your body to one of these gods or goddesses, there was freedom to do so. Paul says, that is the path of one whose master is sin and whose judgment is death. You have been set free from that. Don't let that happen. You're worth more than that. Your body is worth more than that. And here's the thing about sin. If you let sin reign in your body, if, if that's like the only thing that you do and you're just fine sinning, 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 here's Paul's warning. Or here's kind of the observation. You see, sin can only see as far as the grave, as far as your grave. Sin only, only uh, has to do with this life here and now. Once you die, sin is like, all right, We're done here. Next victim. And it moves on to the next. Sin can only see that far. And so doesn't it make sense that if you make your body an instrument of sin, it would be so focused on the here and the now and getting your way and fulfilling your desires and just eating and drinking and doing whatever you want with your body because it makes you happy. All the while, in the back of your mind, you know that you're not treating you the way that you really want to be treated. That's slavery. So Paul gives the alternative. But rather, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him, to God, as an instrument of righteousness. Translation. When people look at you, they look at the normal person and they say, well, there's a person living life. They don't look at a weekend of questionable choices as, oh, they're just having a good time. You know, um, that's how the world views things. But when they look at you, they see something different. They see someone who isn't bound by just the here and the now. They see someone whose hope and peace comes from a different place. You are an instrument of righteousness, a reflector of glory and of love. And then he wraps up here, verse 14. He says, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. When you're under the law, the law points out your sin, and sin can only see as far as your grave. Sin can only see as far as your grave. But when you're under grace, it shows you the eternity that is beyond. And suddenly, your body is not just redeemed for a new purpose, but now your body has purpose. Your body has purpose. Um, how many of you took language class in school, high school, college? Some of you are in high school or college. So quite a few of you, more than 50%. It's kind of what I figured. A lot of us took it. And um, if it's been a few years, do you still remember it? The only way you remember, I took Spanish in college. I was really good at it in college. And now I can say a few things. Um, it's the weird things you remember, right? If, if you've been there, you know. But anyway, I had no use for it. Uh, Spanish, in my context, in my life, in my relationships, I had no way to use it. And so it, it really had no purpose. And so what had no purpose for me, I just neglected. Now I don't know Spanish anymore. That, that's a, we can do this in all sorts of areas of life. You might have worked somewhere, and for a, a time you had a certain job skill that you were good at, and you used, and you developed it. But then... It kind of dropped off because you didn't need it anymore. And now if you were asked to do the same thing, you would have to reread the manual. Here's the point. You neglect what has no purpose. So maybe the reason you've been treating you 
The way that you don't want to be treated is because when you look at you, you see no purpose. Maybe you see other people with their skills and their abilities and their bodies and their whatever, and and you say to yourself, well, they're already doing everything so well. What do I have to offer? I have no value. I have no purpose. So here's what you need to know. If you want to understand why you haven't been treating you the way you want to be treated, it might be because you feel like you have no purpose. So number three, what you need to remember is that your body belongs to God. Your body is in his hands. It's an instrument that he wants to use for his purposes. You neglect what has no purpose, but if you belong to God, there is always purpose. There is always a, a, a use. And, and the application, practical application for that is, is simply this. Maybe you, you tell yourself, well, it doesn't matter how I end my day. It doesn't matter how many I drink back or how many drinks I have. It doesn't matter what kind of junk food I have. I'm just worthless. I just, I have no purpose. I can still do what I need to do. I can still get by. God says, no, you've been redeemed from that dead way of living. Your purpose is to be an instrument of righteousness in the hands of God himself. He redeemed you. He owns you. You are an instrument to him. And this is where we hit the wall. You're probably thinking right now, I don't know if I can do that. This sounds good on a Sunday morning. Maybe your hearts are like kind of kicking in, but maybe you're thinking to yourself, this just isn't going to work. I can't convince myself that I have value every day, and I can't convince myself I have purpose. Matt, if you were to look into my life, you would see that I really have no purpose right now. So here, I'm going to end with this. This is a core passage that if I were you, I would put this in your mind and heart so that it stays there no matter where you are and no matter what you're doing. In another letter, the Apostle Paul had to remind other people of how They had value and how they had purpose and how they were to be careful with how they treated their bodies. And this is what the Apostle Paul told them. You were bought at a price. And if you were bought, that means you needed to be bought. You were bought. A price was paid for you to redeem you from the way of life in which you were born subject to death, but you were bought at a price, and then it simply says, therefore, honor God with your bodies. Your body was purchased at a cost. It was redeemed for you. Therefore, honor God with it. Now, what does this look like for you? You see, here's the tension with this uh, message here today. There are so many different things at play when it comes to your personal bodily health. Um, There are certain, there are medical issues, thyroid issues, hormonal issues, uh, all these different things at different stages and phases of life. And you might be a complicated health mess. I don't know. Some of you might be in good health. It's just varied. Some of you need to change the way that you eat. Some of you need to change the way that you exercise. Some of you need to rearrange things in your fridge. Like, for example, why do we put all the healthy foods inside of a drawer in the fridge? Like, we hide them out of sight. Maybe some of you just need to take that healthy food and put it on the middle shelf so that you see it when you open your fridge. All of us are just different. What's the next best step for you is something I cannot put on the screen. But what I can put on the screen is a principle 
that will guide you and motivate you to take the step that only you know you need to take. Because when it comes to treating you the way you need to be treated, that's something that's between you and your creator. The conclusion of this message should not leave you asking, well, is it okay for me to eat this? Is it okay for me to eat that? Is it, is it a sin for me to do this? That is not where this should lead you. This should lead you to a place where you simply ask this question. What would it look like to treat my body, number four, like God owns it? What would it look like to live my life for the rest of today like God owns it, like God owns my body, that he paid a price to redeem it? What would it look like for him to do that? Now, two things. Number one, this is a principle that I hope will guide you to at least ask that question. Maybe it's a diet thing. Maybe it's an exercise thing. Maybe it's more than just showing up at the gym, but actually doing something while you're at the gym, which is kind of the whole point. Each one of us, this lands in a different place. So here's what I can offer you. If for you, if it's showing up at the gym, I have the capability of taking in the next one people who want a gym buddy. I can be a gym buddy for one people. That's what I can do. I didn't get any takers from the first service, so it's still open if anyone wants a gym buddy. But here's the bigger picture. If you know that you need to treat yourself better, that you haven't been treating your body in a way that reflects how God owns it, you can come up with a good idea, but just like any other New Year's resolution, there's a 93, 95% chance you will fail. And all the good talk we had today will just be done. So here's what I want. I can't be everyone's gym buddy, but maybe you have a buddy who you could share your plan with. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's someone in your growth group. And did I mention, if you're not in a growth group, this is a great time to consider that. Share your plan. Share someone that you can be accountable with. Not because you need to live right for God, but because you want to reflect how God redeemed your body. And even though it might get sick and one day die, your body will not stay there. How God treats your body is as a temple of his Holy Spirit. And one day, a temple that he will raise up to be with him. So take this principle, make it personal, share it with a friend. That's where you're going to see the most leverage from this series. And by the way, this series is about three areas of life. And maybe it's the physical area that needs attention. Maybe it's how you process things emotionally. Maybe it's how you um, approach the spiritual area of your life, the three legs to a stool. I pray that simply in this series, you got one, two, or maybe three practical steps to form a habit that creates an overall resiliency in your life. So that one day when people tell your story, they would say, this person was a man of God, a child of God, not perfect, but forgiven, and one who reflects that love to all. I hope you can join us again next week as we get into a new series that helps you to reflect that love in marriage, husband and wife. This is good for all relationships. And by the way, if you're not married, and you want to be married, maybe next week invite someone to church with you.
wouldn't hurt. <laughs> Let's close today with a prayer. Dear Father in heaven, what an amazing thing that you didn't just create our bodies perfectly at the beginning, but you promised to restore what you initially have made good. Right now, sin ravages all parts of life, including our bodies. And while there are years of youth and energy, there are also years of, of age and pain. These bodies will not last. But we believe you have redeemed them. And we believe that they belong to you. I pray that you'd give us the wisdom and courage to come up with a plan to reflect how you have paid such a price so that we can live with you forever. I ask you to bless everyone here, everyone listening, in Jesus' name.